dawn, milk cows work all day in the fields, milk cows again, eat supper, then go to town and stay past midnight at a meeting of the school board. So God made a farmer. My administration will be focused on three very important words. Jobs, jobs, jobs. This man must be a minister, a social worker, a diplomat, a tough guy, and a gentleman. And of course he'll have to be a genius because he'll have to feed a family on a policeman's salary. From this day forward, it's going to be only America first. America first. We, the citizens of America, are now joined in a great national effort to rebuild our country and restore its promise for all of our people. Because today, we are not merely transferring power from one administration to another or from one party to another. But we are transferring power from Washington, D.C. and giving it back to you, the people. Hold on to your seats. Buckle up for safety. You are now entering another dimension with The Scott Adams Show. That's right. My name is Scott Adams. You're listening to The Scott Adams Show. I want to thank everybody for tuning in today and wish everybody a happy spring, which starts at, I think, 5.46 p.m. today. So um, that's going to be later today. But uh, um, spring has sprung. And the wrestling season is over. And boy, was it a great, great NCAA Wrestling Championships. I was glued to the TV set from Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. And uh, it was amazing this year. But uh, um, congratulations to all the winners there. So there's a lot of big news that's going on with uh, regard to the Ukraine conflict uh, with Russia and China meeting today. And, you know, there's so many, uh, so much misinformation. I was listening to Fox and Friends. And I just have to remind everybody, anybody that listens to Brian Kilmeade is really listening to the mouthpiece for a neocon like Lindsey Graham or the radical left or Joe Biden because Brian Kilmeade is listening to all the wrong generals that basically don't have America's best interests at heart. They have the best interests of the military-industrial complex at heart. And that's where it is. The neocons love the money they make from escalating conflicts that empower the military-industrial complex to to getting those government contracts and those kickbacks that go along with it. And if you take a look at our foreign policy, it just doesn't make any sense. There's no seriously minded people. Somehow, you know, the international community decided with, uh, with uh, Putin to put an arrest warrant out for Putin. 
an arrest warrant for Putin. I mean, what what games are being played here? The war is not even near over in Ukraine at this point. It's only getting worse. And we're going to issue an arrest warrant? That's what the West is relegated to now. Meanwhile, Putin sets up a meeting with Xi. Over the weekend, Putin was took a, taking a stroll through Crimea in response to the arrest warrant for his actions in Ukraine. So, you know, of course it's symbolic. But Putin's not going anywhere. And Brian Kilmeade sits there and lies to the American people on Fox and Friends by suggesting that Putin is uh, desperate. Putin's not desperate. Putin's GDP, Russia's GDP, just surpassed Germany for the first time. They're doing better than ever. So much for those sanctions. Those sanctions that we are cracking down on Russia, the sanctions got to be taking effect. Well, get this. The sanctions are protecting Russia because it's the West whose financial banks are in ruins right now. There's 34 new banks that are put on a list. 34 new banks that are worse in worse shape than Silicon Valley Bank. 34. So think about that. That is trouble. That is an absolute trouble. There, there's a... Um, Tighter credit conditions are coming. All banks to the right of, uh, of, of Silicon Valley Bank are likely to immediately start reorganizing their balance sheets. There's 34 banks in a list. You can get that article over on um, MarketWatch. I posted it also on my social media, twitter.com slash Show. You take a look at that. You take a look at the fact that our sanctions are hurting us, but they're protecting Russia. That Russia's GDP for the first time is surpassing Germany. And BRICS is stronger and superior to G7. These are all first, by the way. So we actually pushed Russia and China together to make this marriage whole. And we emboldened and strengthened BRICS as a result of our feckless and stupid, stupid foreign policy. We know nothing of what we should be doing. Just look at Afghanistan. Supposedly we now have this ISIS-K coming out of Afghanistan through our open borders to plan another domestic attack on America soil. So what was the point of Afghanistan for the last 20 years? Why would we spend so much money and end up in a worse condition with just one year under Biden's belt? Because that's all it took him. So, you know, contrast that with Trump's foreign policy. 
Trump wanted to bring Russia into G7 to make it a G8, which would have strengthened G7 to G8, would have prevented BRICS from taking over the dollar standard, and would have uh, created new leverage over Russia, which probably would have led to an avoiding avoidance of the conflict in Ukraine because Russia would have had too much to lose. You know, you bring the person into the fold or you bring the country into the fold and what you end up with is more leverage through carrots, not sticks. Sticks could be deadly. Carrots, you know, can be rewarding. And if you can make these things all about money and economics, right, then you could you could really get a lot done. It's too costly. The war would be too costly. The reason why we never pick a, a war with the OPEC nations is because it would be too expensive. So Biden's foreign policy and the neocons who are aligned with Biden are all opposing Trump because Trump wants to reset this whole new world order business and put things back to where they should be. We all know that the Paris Agreement, which gives China, you know, until 2030 to comply with 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 climate, while the West has to get down on its knees in the very, very first day and basically give up all of its manufacturing. And these Klaus Schwab disciples sit around the Paris Agreement and they talk about the idea that manufacturing in the West, or in the West is futile. It's a futile effort because people get paid too much. They're overeducated. They think that they're too good to do manual labor. And you can go on and on. And so what ends up happening is you have these slave labor uh, populations in India and China where there are 3 billion people. And they use those people like commodity, like they're, like they're just a nuts and bolts. And they use that slave labor to manufacture for the entire world because people there are in great supply in China and India. And overeducated, pompous libtards are in abundance in the West. And they don't want to weld. They don't want to build. They think they're too good for that. And they don't want to work for less than $20 an hour. But in China and India, you can get someone to manufacture all day, 12 hours a day. They could be underaged. They're not worried about the environment. They're not worried about the smokestacks. And the Paris Agreement sort of sees true to that. You know, we know that if you're going to take care of the world's manufacturing, you're going to blow some smokestacks and, you know, you're going to basically pollute the earth. Uh, And Greta Thunberg's never going to protest. We won't allow her to do that. Not in China. Not in India. Not in Mexico. And... Ultimately, what's going to happen is you're going to manufacture for the world and the corporations are going to profit from 
your slave labor and your environmentally out-of-control pollution. And the corporations who say that they're all about ESG and climate and all these other things, but they're only saying them to actually make the plan, to, to hamstring themselves to not competing in a manufacturing capacity in the West. And they're doing that on purpose because they want to move all the manufacturing to China and India. And meanwhile, they'll take care of the services needs, the paper pushing, the white collar jobs. But lo and behold, you still need people to change those sheets and work that meat packing plant and work the vineyards, drive the cars, Uber and Lyft. So you open up the border and you get the short supply of manual labor, the cheap labor, the slave labor domestically. It's not as great of a need as manufacturing the world, but it's still a need because somewhere along the way you're going to need that maid to clean that room in that hotel or that dishwasher to uh, be in the basement all day long washing dishes for the restaurant. Nobody's going to want to do those jobs either, so... And working that meatpacking plant and slaughterhouses. So, of course, we're going to open the border and allow all the rest of the peasants in the world to come and do those jobs. And once again, who is driving this? Who is driving that whole idea? It's the corporations. And the corporations have lobby groups. And the lobbyists are paying off the politicians. And the politicians know that if they could give the corporations what they want, slave labor, cheap labor, then they will get rewarded with financial kickbacks. That's how it's working, folks. That's all that's happening right there. That's what we call globalism, where they move populations around at will to, you know, basically support whatever it is that they want to do. And they want to take away farmlands so that they can control food. They want to increase crime so that they can push digital currency. And the idea there is if you walk around with cash in your pocket, you're just asking to get clobbered over the head. So go digital. And so what if these regional banks go out of business? Because we're going to control the money with just the big banks. And it goes on and on and on, right? It's all connected. It's all part of a master scheme of power and control over you. And so at the end of the day, they'll control your food. They'll control your energy with climate, right? They'll control your energy with sophisticated technological advances that have all of your kitchen appliances and you know laundry appliances connected to the grid. And you won't be able to buy one that's not connected to the grid. And it'll turn on and turn off and do whatever it needs to do. Or you'll have a carbon footprint where, where if it goes over a certain capacity, you'll pay a higher tax. You'll pay the price. And if you don't willingly pay it, they'll take it out of your bank account with their digital currency that you won't be able to buy that flight and if you're not compliant 
you may not be able to leave the country. And you might have to pay to leave if you want to get out. So you'll be a prisoner in your own home without the freedom to go anywhere you please. I mean, it's all right there in front of you. I can't believe my liberal friends support this. But they do. But they'll claim that they're too stupid to know any better. Or they won't even be smart enough to know that they are too stupid to know any better and think that they're being virtuous and altruistic. But they're not. Not even close. So, we have this banana republic. And over the weekend, so Putin is walking through Crimea basically throwing his nose up in the air at the arrest warrant that the West gimmicked, and uh, which was stupid. Um, meanwhile, one other thing about electric cars before we move over to the big story, which is Donald Trump and the arrest warrant, which is what we're going to be talking about here for the rest of the, the balance of the show. But... Um, China, the world's biggest electric car market, has so many coal-powered plants that electric cars worsen local air with lethal consequences. It is estimated that in Shanghai, air pollution from an additional billion electric cars-powered vehicles would kill nearly three times as many people annually as an additional million gasoline-powered cars. The slave labor that's involved in those camps is just insane. And from the medical world, I was reading this one report where it said, NPR took $24.6 million from Bill Gates Foundation. The Guardian took $12.9 million from Gates. NBC took $4.3 million from Bill Gates BBC took $3.6 million from Bill Gates, and CNN took $3.6 million from Bill Gates. Where is he getting all this money? He's getting it through government contracts. So he invests in R&D and vaccines. He then gets the government contracts through his proxies, like Pfizer, and they don't even know what they're putting in these vials. It turns out that I, if we have time, I'll play these uh, audio clips, they don't even know. Uh, every vial is different. Different strains of metal, different um, ratios, different lengths of RNA, all kinds of stuff. The, the quality control is kaput. So today we're going to be talking about uh, Donald Trump. We're going to be talking about, uh, and the rest, Warren. We have a bunch of clips for that. And then... Uh, I also want to talk a little bit about the Hunter Biden investigation. We have a Comer uh, uh, Oversight Committee Chair, uh, Comer. Uh, We have a clip on that. And we have some uh, scholars uh, that are going to be talking about the... uh, talking about the... um, the arrest warrant and how ridiculous it is. It's, It's like we're a banana republic all of a sudden. So, I'm going to read a few tweets first. So, Mike says, 
Federal funds have already been used for election interference, and no one did anything. Politicians are all talk and no action, absolutely spineless. He said that in response to, here we go again, um, Kevin McCarthy. Here we go again, an outrageous abuse of power by radical DA who lets violent criminals walk as he pursues political vengeance against President Trump. I'm directing relevant committees to immediately investigate if federal funds are being used to subvert our democracy by interfering in elections with politically motivated prosecutions. So that would be considered a political donation or campaign finance issue. Remember when Biden bragged about using $1 billion in foreign aid to get a prosecutor fired and was investigating his son? That really happened. Charlie Kirk writes, the regime is salivating for MAGA to act in an uncharacteristic and violent manner ahead of the Stalinistic arrest later this week. They will use it uh, to criminalize all conservatives. Do not give the feds and their plants what they want. Stay peaceful. Well, you know, we saw that play out with the J6 rally, right? It was a peaceful event infiltrated by Antifa. Antifa.com goes to Washington, uh, whitehouse.gov. It's all part of the Democrat arm of the militant arm. They're a bunch of terrorists over there on the left. Representative Marjorie Taylor Greene writes, as soon as we subpoena banking records and reveal over one million paid to the Bidens from China, just the start of our investigation directly into Joe Biden's influence peddling and corrupt business dealings with foreign countries, Democrats run into panic mode and roll out arrest Donald Trump. So basically, she's indicating that it's a distraction, right, to take away the, the news stories. Uh, take the heat off of Joe, uh, Hunter Biden, the sex maniac drug addict um, who does business with Ukraine, Russia, and China, and in some cases the Middle East. But um, Stephen Miller writes, we live in a country where one president can open the border, hand our territory to the cartels, and get countless thousands killed without any legal ramifications whatsoever, while another president faces indictment from a Soros DA for properly abiding by campaign finance law. So here's the here's the problem with this: is normally for a misdemeanor, it's a two year statute of limitations, and for a felony, it's a five year. This was a misdemeanor that wasn't even proved. Okay, it was about Stormy Daniels. It was about somehow his lawyer paying off Stormy Daniels for a non-disclosure agreement that she violated. In 2018, CNBC reported that she said that she and Trump, she said, Stormy Daniels said that she never had a relationship with Donald Trump. She got the $130,000 and somehow this lawyer, Michael Cohen, said that Trump paid him back in some other way and that uh, using federal finance law uh, for, uh, uh, election election monies 
And there was a similar case to the Edwards case, uh, presidential candidate Edwards, who may have used some of the political campaign donations to, to pay off a personal debt. I'm not sure how that all works out. One would be that, you know, people spend money on PR, and that would be part of a PR budget, number one. It would not be the first time that a a bimbo like Stormy Daniels would try to shake down a billionaire, right? Then not complain about it for years, and then all of a sudden bring it out of the woodwork and say, you know, you and I shared an elevator one day, and I'm going to go ahead and sue you for rape. You can make that up out of whole cloth. We know that Blase Ford made up her crap over Kavanaugh. And we know that E. Jean Carroll made up her Bergdorf Goodman story because that was right off of um, a, a, a television series. So, you know, it's it's a very interesting situation where this happens to billionaires all the time. And you just pay them off sometimes, especially um, because um, um, the First Lady um, was basically pregnant at the, at the time. So you have this situation where uh, he didn't want to bring the news to, her, to, to the family. And um, that was part of it. So you just make these problems go away. $130,000 is chump change to a billionaire. So there's that. All right. Stephen Miller writes, numerous Democrat officials violated state law and the Constitution in 2020 and to implement mass mail in balloting without legislative approval. Zero legal consequences. Instead, the full weight of the state power has been arrayed once more at trying to keep Trump out of office. And... Let's see if we have a couple more tweets that I wanted to read off before we get to the audio clips. Um, Kevin McCarthy says, Alvin Bragg is abusing his office to target President Trump while he's reducing a majority of felonies, including violent crimes to misdemeanors. He has different rules for political opponents. Republicans stopped the radical D.C. crime law, and we will investigate any use uh, of federal funds that are used to facilitate the perver- the perversion of justice by Soros-backed DAs across the country. All right. Donald Trump wrote this today. He said uh, that his attorney, Robert Costello, who is a legal advisor to Michael Cohen, will appear before the New York grand jury uh, today. Now, that's a caveat. Put an asterisk by that because what ends up happening here is the grand jury needs to vote on whether they're going to hear testimony that would help the defense. And typically that's not done. So here we got Donald Trump writing this out. Just reported that most important witness to go before the New York City grand jury, a highly respected lawyer who once represented convicted felon, jailbird, and serial fake storyteller and liar Michael Cohen 
will be doing so tomorrow afternoon. The information he will present will supposedly be conclusive and irrefutable. Witch hunt. So, back to the statute of limitations. The two years for a misdemeanor, five years for a felony. Guess what? It's been seven years. So, he could almost win this with the statute of limitations issue. The problem is, if you're no longer a state resident, the statute of limitations goes away for some reason. But, chances are he still has property in New York that would get, make him eligible for being a taxpaying uh, New York City taxpayer. So, you know, I'm not sure how that would work out. But it certainly makes for a little bit of an interesting thing. That would be very funny if they had to throw it out because the DA didn't uh, have a case to be brought. Pretty funny. The Bradford, file, the Bradford file writes, Bill Clinton was guilty of a global fundraising conspiracy involving massive illegal foreign contri- contributions from China, Venezuela, and other countries during the 1996 presidential campaign. His, cam- his campaign was fined $2,000. He, he was never arrested. Of course, we know that there's a double standard there. Dinesh D'Souza writes, protest, yes, but in what manner? We do not need another January 6th. This is a time for a well-thought-out strategy to prevent our slide into the third world tyranny. It's time. We are a nation in steep decline. Be uh, Donald Trump truths this out. Uh, By a crooked politician who doesn't even know he's alive, but who is surrounded by evil and sinister people who based on their actions on defunding the police, destroying our military, open borders, no voter ID, inflation, raising taxes, and much more, can only hate our now-failing USA. We just can't allow this anymore. They're killing our nation as we sit back and watch. We must save America. Protest, protest, protest. Well, I said it's time to turn against your government. I believe that. I think it's time that we make a run on the banks and we teach these people a lesson. You know, I don't think your money is safe in some of these banks. I think that you'd be better off with the little interest you're ever going to get back in return from a bank deposit. Um, you might want to pull your money, buy, buy gold and silver or, or, or something like that, or buy real estate. But take your money out of the banks. Um there's going to be a massive problem there, too, because they're already in the wake of the uh, banking collapses recently. They're going to be tightening loan loan guarantees. Loan re- they're going to have loan restrictions like never like like ha- that we haven't seen in a while. OK, well, how do regional banks make most of their money? Anybody? You can raise your hand. Well, they make it through. Uh, loans. They the money they make back on giving loans is how they actually make a profit. That's the main way that a bank makes profit. So they buy you know T bonds and things like that to get a return on the investment of the money you're holding in their bank. But the way they make most of their money is loaning the money out for investments, and they collect on the interest. 
And depending on how risky someone's credit is, it really depends. That that's what dictates the terms of the rate interest rate. So when they can't loan out money to people, guess what? Not only and business, not just people, businesses, right? So the businesses are going to struggle with hiring because a lot of businesses need loans to to float things and to grow. And the growth enables them to hire people. So with the, the loan restrictions that are about to ensue and the interest rate hikes, uh, the prime rate hike that the Fed is going to keep on pushing, what you're going to have is you're going to have um, incre- increased unemployment, which is always a laggard. The reason why unemployment, we got that 311,000 jobs is because a lot of people need waiters and things like that, cheaper jobs. But the great jobs are being laid off. People are getting laid off in big tech all over the country. So you're going to start to see unemployment go up to 8 9%. I don't think that's going to take that long to happen. There are going to be massive layoffs and there's going to be job losses. The labor participation rate's going to shrink. You know, you just had Credit Suisse get bailed out by UBS, the Bank of Switzerland. And that was a $2 billion purchase. And both of their stocks went down. And the biggest bank, Switzerland Bank of Switzerland, may have some financial trouble if they lose more value in their stock. So, you know, the central bank in Europe raised two basis points, 0.5. They're up to 3.5%. So the Federal Reserve is more than likely going to follow suit. They were going to do 0.5, two basis points, but more than likely they're going to do 0.25. And some people say just rip the Band-Aid off and raise it a whole point. And whoever collapses, collapses. But, you know, no one's going to have the courage to do that. But the way you're going to get ahead of inflation is to do that. The price of eggs, the supply chain of eggs, and things, this is all part of them controlling your food through the economy. Charlie Kirk writes, The regime is salivating for MAGA to act in an uncharacteristic, violent manner ahead of this Stalinistic arrest later this week. They will use, so, you know, protest peacefully. But protest nonetheless. And, uh, all right, so we're, Stephen Miller writes this. We live in, live in a country where one president, oh, I, I actually read that one. All right, here's one. Before we get to the audio clips, Stephanie Clifford, a.k.a. Stormy Daniels, meets Trump's former attorney, Michael Cohen, threatening extortion. Cohen claimed Stormy Daniels violated confidentiality agreement at least 20 times. Daniels sued in 2018, seeking to be released from an NDA she signed with Michael Cohen. The lawsuit was dismissed. Stormy Daniels' appeal and lost defamation case owning Donald Trump, owing Donald Trump $300,000. Her attorney, Michael Avenatti, who's in jail right now for fraud, real fraud, went to prison. 
Headlines with reports said that Stormy had an affair with Donald Trump before he became president. Stormy issued a statement denying that the affair took place, and it was published in the CNBC. In the statement, the authenticity of uh, which has been verified with a representative of Daniels states, the fact of the matter is that each party to this alleged affair denied its existence on 2006 2011, 2016, 2017, and now again in 2018. I am not denying this affair because I was paid hush money, as has been reported in overseas-owned tabloids. So reported in tabloids is the benchmark. I am denying this affair because it never happened. Oh, there you go. Boom. So Democrats are going after Trump for a misdemeanor, if it is even that, when they were okay that Bill Clinton paid off Paula Jones $850,000. Also, why was Bill Clinton not prosecuted and charged for his affair with Monica Lewinsky, which happened at the White House in the Oval Office while his, he was president? There's some federal dollars being you know used there, right? How about Joe Biden? Hunter Biden has committed over several dozen crimes that we know of, like crack and hookers and stuff like that. He committed over several dozen crimes that we know of in which he convicts his dad saying he gave 50% of the money to to him. And also Biden crime family took millions from the CCP. This is selling America out. So what gives? Well, this is a guy, this guy that's going to speak here, and I'm going to start with this clip, is a uber, uber, uber liberal pundit. And I, I don't have his name handy, but uh, he's on um, he's on ABC, I think. Yeah, he's with ABC. Dan Abrams. Oh, by the way, his name's Dan Abrams. Uber liberal. This guy hates Donald Trump like with a passion. Okay, listen to what he has to say. You're talking about charging the former president of the United States. You should have a big and clean case. And this is neither. The sentence, even if Trump was convicted of even the felony, could mean no jail time. None. But there's also the political side of this. Why is D.A. Alvin Bragg suddenly so interested in this case now? Not the tax evasion or bank fraud cases, which had been the big ones his office had been investigating for years. Could it be related to the fact that his this newfound interest coincided with one of his former deputies coming out with a book criticizing Bragg for not bringing charges in the tax and bank fraud cases? Could it be that D.A. Bragg feared the political wrath of New York liberals furious that he shied away from charges? So he wanted something to show them? It sure feels that way. And with all this in mind, there's one more political effect that liberals who are already celebrating this seemingly imminent announcement should be mindful of. An old, difficult, and politically fraught case brought by a liberal Manhattan DA will absolutely help Donald Trump politically. Republicans will coalesce around Trump, and he will have a legitimate argument that this case is political or politicized. 
Now, the former president denies ever having had an affair with Stormy Daniels. Do I believe that? Of course not. Do I think he paid the money to Daniels for exactly the reasons Cohn claims? Yeah. But that does not mean the criminal charges should be brought in this case at this time against this defendant. And to those on the left who say, well, if it was me or anyone else, he would be charged. Why is this any different? I say that's not true. Any good prosecutor would, should look at this old, relatively minor and difficult case with a tainted star witness and say, not worth it. But I fear this prosecutor is allowing politics to seep into a case that is already fraught with allegations of bias. Now that the criminal tax and bank fraud cases have fizzled legally, this one has the feel of a desperate long shot. That's Dan Abrams, radical lefty who hates Trump, that basically, I think, gave a very reasonable, but it's not, he just thinks that Donald Trump may have done that. No one really knows whether Donald Trump had an affair with this woman or not. And I actually disagree. I don't think Stormy Daniels is President Trump's type. But, you know, um, I think that Stormy Daniels was all about getting a quick buck and did what Blasey Ford and, and you know, a bunch of liberal uh, uh Gloria Allred clients do, you know. I don't know if you know who Gloria Allred is. She's this woman you always see sitting next to a a woman that pulls something out of the woodwork and says, I was raped, you know, 18, 18 years ago uh, by this Republican candidate two weeks before the election. You know, it's just crazy. The chief judge in this case overseeing the Trump grand jury investigations is another Obama appointee, according to the Gateway Pundit here. Um, Well, let's see. Okay, the new chief judge in Washington who will oversee grand jury investigations into President Trump is another Obama appointee. Judge Beryl Howell, an Obama appointee, passed the baton to Judge James Bosberg after her seven-year term expired. All right. So Bosberg is also an Obama appointee. And Beryl Howe passed the baton to Bosberg, and she ordered Trump's lawyer to testify before a grand jury. All right. So <laughs> we see how this is going to go probably, right? You can indict a ham sandwich, by the way. It doesn't mean anything. But the fact that they have um, Costello, uh, an advocate right now of Donald Trump's, potentially going to give testimony today if he's voted, if the grand jury uh, votes according that that they want to hear him, that could be um, you know really unusual. President Donald Trump plays ace card, announces last-minute surprise witness who will testify to grand jury tomorrow. The information he will present will supposedly be conclusive and irrefutable. All right. So that's basically um, today, not tomorrow. Approximately two dozen people from Trump's Mar-a-Lago resort staff have been subpoenaed to testify before a federal grand jury for Trump's upcoming legal case involving classified documents. The Hunter 
Has Hunter Biden been subpoenaed yet? No. But Bobulinski has been by the Oversight Committee. That should be interesting. Did you know that Alvin Bragg, the man that uh, want, that want to arrest Donald Trump, is one of George Soros's DAs? George Soros gave him over a million dollars. He is up next since Emily Coors proved. He is up next since uh, this person wrote this is wrote poorly. Um, Alvin Bragg releases and falls to prosecute violent criminals. Oh, so basically, Alvin Bragg is a Soros DA. Is all they're saying here, and that's again what I've been saying. Uh, they systematically put in all these DAs and investigators before they committed the election fraud that they were already planning to commit. But they knew that the election fraud would be contested, so they needed the right judges and DAs to turn a blind eye to the massive election fraud. So they did it step by step. And probably that was a pretty smart idea. All right, let's take a listen to this. This is a really good Fox and Friends analysis of this case. All right, let's take a listen. And this is a guy that was on Life, Liberty, and Levin, and then uh, going to get into this interview today that I heard today that I wanted to share with you about the case that's going to transpire today. This is a, a politically motivated prosecution. This is the thing that's happening in this country now where we're using the justice system as a weapon. All decent people, whether politically opposed to Donald Trump or in favor of Donald Trump, should be concerned about this weaponization of a prosecutor's office to go get a political opponent. President Donald Trump's attorney accusing Manhattan's DA Alvin Bragg of weaponizing his local office as the former president says he believes he will be arrested tomorrow. A key witness is expected to undermine Michael Cohen's credibility in today's testimony, which Trump declares will be conclusive and irrefutable. Our next guest worked in the Manhattan DA's office and has major doubts about the viability of the case. Former prosecutor Elliot Feeling is here to explain. Elliot, good, good morning. morning. All right, uh, you got three problems with this. <laughs> three questions that have not been satisfactorily answered that make me really doubt the viability of this case and make me question the motivation behind this prosecution. First and foremost, the timing. The underlying acts occurred seven years ago. They've been known publicly for five years. President Trump, Donald Trump, has been out of office for two years, so any presumable shield against prosecution is long gone. So why is this case being brought now? Is it just a politically motivated response to the criticism Alvin Bragg received from his former deputy for not pursuing Trump for financial improprieties? That's what it looks like. Okay. Uh, you also say that apparently uh, somebody wrote a book. Right. Uh, about the situation and through the literally attacked Mr. Bragg. And now this is payback. Well, that's what it looks like. Why else would you wait two years that he's been out of office to bring this case unless it's and it's in the immediate aftermath of the criticism from that book? I'm also curious, though, why are we even in state court? These are federal election laws. Presumably. Right. They're typically and almost exclusively prosecuted by either the FEC or the Department of Justice. I'm not aware of any legal theory whereby these acts would constitute a violation of state law, but not also federal law. The only inference here is that the FEC 
and the Department of Justice, the Biden Department of Justice, looked at these facts and said there is no viable case here. I don't know anyone who would argue with a straight face that Alvin Bragg is somehow a more competent or respected prosecutor than Merrick Garland. Merrick Garland passed. Right. The feds passed. The DOJ passed. The Federal Election Commission passed. And now the local guy who we've talked about with the crime situation here, he's going after him. Um, You also suggest the John Edwards defense may come into play. Absolutely. John Edwards was charged in 2011 under very similar circumstances in federal court where it belonged with violating campaign finance laws for having hush money sent to a former extramarital lover. His lawyers successfully defended the charge by saying, look, anyone would pay hush money, candidate or not a candidate, to spare themselves, their spouse, their family from embarrassment. That was a successful defense. It's a, it's a defense that's fully available here. Right. Uh, so to Today, the grand jury may hear from Robert Costello, who was an advisor to Michael Cohen. And apparently, uh, Mr. Costello previously told The Wall Street Journal that uh, Cohen told him he paid off Stormy Daniels to protect Melania, who had just had a baby, which was barren. Right. Extremely unusual for grand jurors to hear from a defense witness. It's extremely unusual to even hear from a defendant himself or herself. That happened maybe in two or three percent of the cases I handled. But to hear from an actual defense witness, very, very rare. It's an uphill climb, though. So ultimately, I, I read that the jury themselves will vote on whether or not to hear him. So right. we might not hear. Well, they might not hear. That's from possible. Him. So first, the grand jurors have to vote if they want to hear from this witness. But remember, <clears throat> grand jury, very low bar. It's not like a trial. A trial, you need unanimous. You need beyond a reasonable doubt grand jury you just need a majority of the grand jurors to say there's probable cause so unless this defense witness blows everyone out of the water unlikely to prevent an indictment never boring all right elliot thank you very much for joining us my pleasure thank you yeah that was pretty good analysis i i really liked the way he covered just about every little great detail there um jonathan turley this is what he had to say about it This is a political prosecution, in my view. And you don't have to really venture very far to reach that conclusion. If you look at how this case uh, came about, uh, it's rather obviously political. You know, the predecessor of Bragg did not pursue this case. Uh, The Department of Justice did not pursue the underlying federal election violation. The chairman of the FEC, election experts have all said that this is an exceptionally weak theory. And yet Bragg, who threw a flag on this case, um, decided to go forward after his prosecutors resigned. And one of them wrote what I thought was a very unprofessional book, uh, detailing the case against an individual who hasn't been charged, let alone convicted. Just extraordinary. So two questions. What does this mean for President Trump? And number two, what are we going to do about these two standards of justice? Well, Maria, ironically, if Donald Trump had to choose uh, which of these cases would come first, this would be that case. Uh, This case is overtly political and really fulfills the narrative that many have raised uh, in this campaign season. So in some ways, this is a fortunate decision for Trump. Uh, Bragg gave Donald Trump what I think is credible evidence of the politicalization of the criminal justice system. There might be a more difficult time doing that with something like Mar-a-Lago. So the question is, what happens to the case? Uh, You could not have picked a better jurisdiction uh, to prosecute Donald Trump. 
Uh, you know, this is the worst possible jury pool for him. Uh, for some judges in New York to dismiss a case like this would border on self-immolation. Uh, so it's possible that this could go to trial, but it's going to have serious problems uh, on appeal. I think yeah. that I'm not even convinced that Bragg has not run out of time. I think there are some very significant questions whether the statute of limitations has already run on these claims. Because the statute of limitations is what, five years? Well, it's two years on the misdemeanor. What he's trying to do uh, is to fold in the federal violation to kick this up to a felony and get that five-year uh, uh, period. That right. linkage itself could be challenged. But I'm not even sure he's moving within five years. This occurred right. seven years ago. That's exactly right. Uh, Jonathan, it's great to get your answer. So the, the statute of limitations, to me, <laughs> that just that could just close it down right there. So... I don't know. That's uh, quite interesting. Um, I want to do a quick clip uh, for uh, Hunter Biden. Uh, this what Comey, uh, Comer has to say before we have run out of time today. We think there are as many as 11 more deals. Uh, now, we don't know what those deals are uh, What the Bidens. You know, in the beginning, the White House denied having any uh, knowledge or the fact that their family was involved in any sort of way, shape or form with the CCP. But now we have bank records that reveal otherwise. Uh, we don't know what the Bidens did in return for this money. Uh, the lawyer said that it was seed capital for a business. We haven't been able to find a business, Maria. Uh, we're going to have an opportunity to ask people about that, that were closely aligned with the Biden family. We've talked to them privately. I'm not going to reveal what they say privately, but uh, very soon they'll either be uh, talking to everyone in the form of a deposition or even better in a, in a committee hearing. But right now it looks like uh, the Biden family just pocketed this money. Uh, this is one deal we have 11 more to go, and I'm pretty confident we'll be getting more bank records in very soon. All right. So one million dollars distributed to the Bidens uh, on one deal. And you say there are 11 others. Let's talk about what possibly the CCP could have been paying for. Do you have any indication, whether it be from the laptop, from your investigation, that gives us any information about what specifically China was paying the Biden family for? Well, we know that when the president was vice president in the Obama administration, he made several trips to China. Uh, he uh, brought his son and, and uh, some of these associates with him. They met in different places with some of these people that the president claimed he never met with. So we know the president hasn't been truthful about his involvement when he was vice president. But from talking to former associates that were involved with Hunter Biden, uh, what we know the Biden family had agreed to help China do was get their foot in the door on the American energy industry, not just American energy. That's it. And that's where Trump, uh, Biden's policies been completely hamstrung and shaped. That's unbelievable. Well, that brings us to the end of the Scott Adams show. Be sure to check out magapack.org. Make a donation if you can. It helps us out. Also use Red State over at MyPillow.com. And we'll see you next time on the Radio. Bye, buddy. Just to bury my kids right up to there.